Well, I want to welcome you to this Good Friday service. Uh, it's a bit of a misnomer to call this night good. That's uh, an anomaly of English. It doesn't mean good as in, boy, isn't this really good. Uh, the German word uh, that's used to describe this service means mourning. And so it is recognizing something profoundly uh, significant and moving. And, but not, it's not an emotional night. It's a thoughtful, deeply reflective night, like the whole season of Lent. Ash Wednesday, getting us to reflect on our, our humanity, uh, our absolute need for God. Uh, Palm Sunday, recognizing that God himself comes into uh, this world. Uh, we celebrate that at the birth, of course, but at that last week of his life, Jesus came into Jerusalem to, com com to complete his mission. And then Monday, Thursday, uh, we celebrated last night, uh, reflecting on Jesus' last meal with his disciples and what happened when he went out after that meal and the fact that he was abandoned, betrayed and abandoned. On this night, on Good Friday, uh, we pick it up and uh, it continues. Uh, this betrayal continues. Uh, and it's heartbreaking. And yet, uh, we're filled with hope, realizing that God was faithful in Christ to do what he had come to do. And so it's, it's, in that sense, it's, it is deeply moving. And so the reason we gather like this is to, uh, to walk through uh, the narrative of the gospel that takes us to a place that we can appreciate Easter. Uh, to go from Christmas to Easter is to miss the drama, the, 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 the deep plot of God. This is not just a story, and this happened and that happened and this happened and that happened. This is a deep, deep plot that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life. And so uh, this is meant to then prepare us to understand the deep a deep commitment that God made to us in Christ and to be able to celebrate it uh, heartfully and thoughtfully uh, with great joy on Sunday. And so let me just walk you through what we're going to do. Uh, you'll see that uh, candles are lit and candles will be extinguished as the night grows ever more dark. Not just dark in the sense that it gets darker visually, but it becomes more dark and more bleak, more evil, as we see it looking like Satan will win. Uh, at one point, uh, we are going to be the voice of the people. And so if you turn to page five, we'll all be the voice of the people. So you see it says crowd, congregation, that's us. And so, so when the question is asked, which of these two do you want me to release to you? Spoken by Pilate. We, in a very loud voice, it will feel very awkward to you. Because you think, am I going to be the only one screaming out Barabbas? Uh, no, we'll all scream out the name Barabbas. So, you're gonna, so we're going to yell out Barabbas. So say it with me. Barabbas. Okay, so that's, it's gonna, when we get to that point and say it, we're all going to have a chill down our spine thinking, I can't believe I sounded that bad, that evil. Because we're trying to understand the evil that was at play here. Well-intended people doing something profoundly evil. And then likewise, it gets worse. The crowd screams out, crucify him. Would you say that? Crucify him. And that's about half the passion you need. You need twice that much passion. So when we get to that point and cry out two times when he says, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? We will yell out, crucify him. And then Pilate now in a corner thinking, there's no way out. This is a very bad situation. How do I get out of this? Well, why? What crime has he committed? There's no answer except for another crucify him. So it's even more intense when we yell it uh, that way. Uh, and so the fourth time we speak at the bottom of the page then, Pilate, wanting to uh, cover himself, 
for what would be a very thorough inquiry by Rome and the citizens of Jerusalem, uh, says, well, then, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And, of course, then we will, we will cry out, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. Uh, we call a curse out on ourselves, basically. Uh, the, the, the candle, another candle extinguished, the, the reading continues, uh, and, and so it goes. And um, when we get to the very end, uh, the seventh candle is extinguished, uh, it'll, be, it'll be silent for a little bit, and then uh, a very moving song, Come Sweet Death, uh, will be sung by the choir. At that point, uh, we want to respect the silence, simply to uh, let the impact of these words and this music uh, stay with us for, for a brief time. And so we'll leave in silence, and as you go out, go out that exit, if you would, and uh, like last night, we, we, we received an offering uh, for our benevolence fund. Uh, this is to uh, help people who are in desperate straits. And so this is a, a, a tradition in Lent to take a special offering uh, for the poor. And so if you'd like to contribute to that, uh, the ushers will have baskets, and you can simply uh, uh, contribute as you, as you walk out. So... Are you ready? Lord Jesus, make us ready. Uh, prepare our hearts, our minds, uh, to be open to you and to the movement of your spirit in this place, among your people, uh, through words spoken and sung, uh, through our participation uh, in this narrative. Lord, we want to be moved by you, not just emotionally, but intellectually, spiritually, uh, psychologically, uh, culturally, Socially, we want to be moved closer to you, into your embrace, so that, Lord, we can receive you as our Savior and Lord and celebrate you this Easter. And so we commit this service that you would be honored and glorified, that people would be blessed in your name. Amen. Wipe all 
So I have a question for you. Why do we still talk about Jesus' death? Why gather on a night like this to talk about his death? Uh, you've maybe heard this many times. Uh, you can read it at home on your own. Well, here's a few reasons. One, we still need salvation and he still seeks to save. This is an ongoing story. Uh, we know where it goes but we don't know who's going to go with him. And so this is an ongoing message personified in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, his ascension uh, into heaven, and his glorious return. He still uh, seeks and saves because we still need him to seek and to save. We need to remember what he did and why he did it. It's easy to fall into a cultural Christianity that one's faith becomes like wallpaper. It's there, but you never really notice it after a while. It becomes a cultural cliche, something that we trot out for sentimental religious purposes, but not actually the driving thing in our life that causes us to say, every day I wake up saying, thank God I get to walk with you. And so we become witnesses to his love and justice in the world. This is the, the, the nature of what we celebrate. It's about God's love and God's justice. Have you ever asked or been asked, why does God let the, the world be the way it is? Why doesn't God do something about evil in the world? 
Why doesn't God intervene somehow? And of course, our answer is he has, he does, he is, and he will. And so that's the first answer to why we still talk about Jesus' death. The second thing, the second question is, well, why did Jesus have to die? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever been asked that question? Well, why did Jesus have to die? Well, and, and the first response to that question is this. Jesus didn't have to die. It would have been pretty simple. Jesus didn't have to die. He could have left us without help and without hope in the world. There was nothing compelling him ethically, morally. There wasn't any responsibility, any obligation on his part to die for us. It was all something much different that we have a hard time getting our head around. That God's unconditional love for us caused him to do what he did not have to do, was not required to do. And, and the justice of the universe would say there's nothing to be done. They've made their choice. Uh, they've, they've made their bed, and they can sleep in it. So he didn't have to die, but he chose to come. He chose to come into the world to save us. And in so doing, he came to, again, fulfill the love and justice of God on our behalf. Nobody can ever say God is not loving and God is not just. So if somebody at the end of time standing in judgment before God said, what do you know about suffering? What do you know about sacrifice? What do you know about betrayal up here in the comforts of heaven? How dare you hold me accountable and judge me? What would Jesus say? Well, and it would become apparent very quickly. And, and, and literally somebody would say, as he perhaps said many times, but now in, in a way more personal than ever, oh my God. You know exactly what it means to be a human being. You have been betrayed. You have suffered. You have sacrificed. Your heart does break for the injustice in the world, the evil that oppresses this world. Your love has done something about it. And so the third big idea, if we ask these two questions, why do we still talk about Jesus' death? Why did Jesus have to die? This final question, what does it mean that Jesus died for our sins on the cross? What did it mean for Jesus to die for our sins? Not the collective sins of humanity, though that's certainly counted in that. But why would he die for your sins? Why would he care about you? Again, he fulfilled the love and justice of God in perfect righteousness. Having chosen to come into the world that was created through him and for him, to be in relationship with him, God was compelled to say, okay, what they cannot do, I will do on their behalf. And it wasn't just, a, again, a conceptual abstraction of, of, of evil and sin. It was, and yours, 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 and yours. He who was without sin, the Bible tells us, took the sins of the world upon himself. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see that he suffered and sacrificed himself for us to redeem us from sin and death. And so what did that death actually do? What was it like for him to experience that death? Part of what we, we, we remember here is the, is the actual physical sacrifice, which is significant. Uh, but there's, is a, there's a larger context here. First of all, he suffered temptation and betrayal. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus, uh, after being in the wilderness for 40 days, faced Satan, was tempted. Tempted in every way that we have been tempted, but without sin. 
He knows what it means to be tempted. Of course, we know that uh, in, in Judas, he was betrayed. The second thing, he suffered the pain of crucifixion and death. Uh, if you've never read an account of what crucifixion does, I, I invite you to read it. It's a, it's a gory thing. There's, there's, there's very few ways to die that are more hideous than crucifixion, a prolonged way of, of suffocating somebody and causing them to inflict pain on themselves as they try to struggle to breathe. It's a horrifically evil, grotesque way uh, to die. And you have a lot of time to think and to ponder. The third thing, he suffered bearing the sin of the world upon himself. Can you imagine the crushing weight of sin? You've heard me say before that the wrath of God is, first of all, the glory of God settling in. The, the glory of God is so weighty. If the glory of God came crashing in on this room full force, we'd be crushed by it. But the wrath of God also speaks to the fact that God is a God of justice. And so all, all the consequence of sin is poured out through the wrath of God. Not, being, not God being angry or vindictive, but God allowing the full justice of evil to weigh down and crush those who would commit injustice and evil. And all of us, uh, in ways uh, small and great, are complicit uh, in the evil in this world. And so Jesus took all that weight, the deep psychological weight of sin crushing down on him on our behalf. And then a fourth thing, he suffered abandonment when God turned his face away from him. Well, God would abandon Jesus? Yes, because God uh, gave um, us the, the ability to choose. And so what happens is, at the end of time, people either say to God, your will be done, or God will say to them, your will be done. And so Jesus, having taken the sins of the world upon himself, stood in our place, where we would say, my will be done, and so let it be. Bring it on. Jesus did take it on, and so God turns away to let the entire weight of the, of the, of the sin of humankind fall on him. And so uh, you'll hear the words, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's speaking his home language, Aramaic, at that point. And finally, uh, he suffered bearing the wrath of God that belonged to us, as I said before, the, the, bearing the sin of the world upon himself, the abandonment of God, and then the full weight, the full measure, the full consequence, uh, the full punishment of sin. And so this is a horrific description to, to unpack that and realize all that went into Jesus uh, coming um, when he didn't need to, to take on himself what was really due us so that we could then... Uh, benefit from his righteous rebuke of sin and evil and death. And so his perfect sacrifice and then his consequent resurrection destroyed the power of sin and death. It's a whole other conversation about, well, if, if that's true, why do we still see examples of sin and death in the world? Another conversation. But the power of sin and death has been broken. And so that's why I like the Apostle Paul, who said, I preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. That's why the cross is that symbol of our faith. You've seen it with Christ on it, representing the sacrifice of his faith. You've seen it without Christ on it, which represents the fact that he's, he's risen from the dead. And so that's why we talk about his death, and that's why we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. Tonight we remember the suffering and the sacrifice. On Easter we celebrate his resurrection. And so, Lord Jesus, again, we pray that you would uh, soften our hearts, open our minds 
that we would be able to appreciate in perhaps a, a deep new way just how much you loved us to seek us, to save us, to do what you did on our behalf, to be the atoning sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. 
Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor, who asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said it, said Jesus. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Pilate demanded. Jesus remained silent. Pilate demanded. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was eaten so we could be whole. He was lived so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd anyone they wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, Which of these two do you want me to release to you? Barabbas! Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Crucify him! Why, what crime has he committed? Crucify him! Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. We will take responsibility for his death. We and our So Pilate released Barbarus to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. 
As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him, and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself 
and us. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise.
Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sambatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rock split. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God.
Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience of the commandment.